All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 17. We're going to read a few verses there and then we will move to the New Testament. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 17. Over the past several weeks, I have been preaching on the subject of bitterness. And this morning, I would like to continue on that subject. Today, I would like to preach on battling bitterness in the home. And we're going to look at bitterness here in Proverbs chapter 17. And look with me in verse number 25. How fitting this is that today's Mother's Day, and this is our text for today, which has to do with mothers. Mothers. The Bible says in chapter 17, verse 25, it says, A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. Let's read it again. A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. I ask you to help me to preach today the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that the Word of God would go forth in clarity, simplicity, and sincerity. I pray, Father, that it would be received with meekness, that folks would apply faith to it, and then feet to it. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help every child of God in this room this morning in this area, in this realm that we deal with, of bitterness in our homes, the temptation to fall to it. And may we be overcomers. May we be victors and not victims. And I pray that you'd help me now in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first institution that God established on planet earth was the family. For it would be the foundation of the success or the failure of all the other institutions that would eventually develop upon the earth, such as government or a church or a nation. You've heard the saying, so goes the home, so goes the church, so goes the nation. And I believe that to be true. And it has a divine design to it. And that divine design was set up in such a way that it would bring joy and gladness to the heart of those who participate in a family. It started with marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a a good thing, a joyful thing, a happy thing. doesn't mean that it doesn't have its struggles. The Bible says that if a man chooses to get married, that there will be trouble, meaning that there will be some times that you have to deal with the flesh, and things you have to overcome. But you know what Jesus said? He said His Father, He made them male and female. And He said, for this cause, talking about for the sake of the marriage, for the joy of the marriage, for the success of the marriage, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they too shall become, or twain shall be one flesh. So you're talking about leaving and cleaving and weaving your life together. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. 
I found a good thing when I found Cynthia Oliver. Amen? And I obtained favor of the Lord because God knew exactly what I needed to balance out some things in my life. She is a precious jewel to me. Proverbs 19.14 says, A prudent wife is from the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Live joyfully, not dreadfully, not regretfully, joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. God designed marriage, and if it's set up biblically and operates biblically, it is possible to have a happy marriage and a good marriage. Then that second area of that home is children. The Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full. Third John says that there is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And then along comes grandchildren. It's like the Lord just kind of adds some, you know, a cherry on top of that blessings that He's given to the home of that marriage and those children. And then those grandchildren. I've heard most grandparents say that we should have had them first. Amen. The man is blessed that fears the Lord. The Bible says, Thou shalt see thy children's children. You know, I think about, um, I think about that passage over in 2 Timothy where it talks about Lois and Eunice, how that Lois no doubt looked upon Timothy and said, Boy, what a blessing this young man is to my life. Because he carried on the faith. That was her grandson. I think about that uh, passage in Proverbs where it says, Children's children are the crown of old men. So when do you know that you've graduated to be an old man, Brother Ford? It's when you have a grandchild. That's when you know that you've reached that stage, Brother Lewis, of becoming an... Let's, let's just use the term older man today. Amen? Or maybe aged man. Amen. And so, you know, I think about uh, what grandchildren can do. And boy, I tell you, uh, I'm blessed to have my, my, my children and my grandchildren here today in the service. And I tell you, there's some times when, when, the, when, the, when the, uh, the oldest one or the youngest one, when any of them are there and, uh, and they're there with me, they, they, they just brighten up my life. They brighten up my day. They just really do. And I enjoy being around them. But I was thinking about all of the hardships that Naomi went through in the Old Testament when she and her husband left town and they were trying, they thought they were doing the right thing. They didn't do the right thing, but God can still take good out of the wrong things we do. He can do that. He's like that. And so she lost her husband and then she lost her boys. And she only had uh, two, two daughter-in-laws and they were heathens. And one of them chose to follow her faith. And that was Ruth. And Ruth followed her back to the house. And when, when Naomi got walked back into town, they saw her account and said, Boy, what happened to you? Life has beat you up. And she said, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. And that means bitterness, for the Lord had dealt bitterly with me. But as time moved on there, shortly thereafter, Ruth uh, married Boaz. And uh, 
And the Bible says that they had a child. And brother, it was that grandchild that, that invigorated Naomi. The Bible says that, man, she lifted that baby up and she began to praise the Lord. And then, and then the people around her said, look what God's done for you. He said, now the Lord is going to nourish you and strengthen you through this child. And there is something about the hardships of life that when a grandmother holds her grandchild, that it does something to invigorate her and encourage her in spite of all the hardships that she's been through in life. That's what a grandchild can do. And not only that, but you can do things with them and to them and send them right back to the house. I mean, man, just, you know, you can even spoil them and send them on back to the house. But I'm just saying that, you know, grandchildren are grand. That's all I can say to you. They're grand. I appreciate mine very much in the Lord. But God's design of the family has given each member of that family certain responsibilities and positions. And He doesn't want it changed around. He doesn't want the mother leading the household. He wants the father leading the household. Okay? And He doesn't want the children... Telling the parents what to do. He wants the parents telling the children what to do. God has a divine design. And, but you know, and so each member, all of us have certain positions and responsibilities and a pattern in which rules and principles and choices. But the thing about it is that we're all depraved creatures and many times we're carnal until we walk with the Lord and we make bad choices and bad choices have Bad consequences. And so you think about um, the role of the husband and father. He's to lead. He's to provide and protect his family and love his wife and the mother of those children. The wife is the mother. She is to submit and support and guide the home. The children are to obey and honor, become wise and productive children in society. And the grandparents are to support that family atmosphere, not interfere with it, support it, guide it, and even leave an inheritance for his children's children, if possible. But you know what? A family is like a garden. The family structure is like a garden in that it has constantly has to be worked on and looked after. And if you neglect a garden... It never produces the fruit that you wanted it to if you neglect it. It's not that it won't produce any fruit. It's that it just won't produce what it could have. We've got some gardeners in here, and I promise you that they, you'll, they'll tell you that they have to look after those things almost every day to make sure things are where they need to be in the garden in order for it to produce fruit. And so it is in the household. In our homes, you have to stay after it all the time. There's always something threatening the garden, and there's always something threatening your home. And the, and the, and the unity and the harmony and the purity of it. And so as a result of that, there's always going to be the temptation to get bitter about something. Because of our fleshly ways, children are provoked to wrath, and discouragement, which equals bitterness. Husbands are provoked to bitterness by their wives. And mothers and fathers are provoked to bitterness by their children. 
And today in our text, would you look with me in verse number 25, where it says, A foolish son is a grief to his father. A foolish son, your choices have great impact. And let's just say, when I say son, would you, would you, would you young ladies also consider yourself part of that package there as a child? Not just a son, but a daughter. Don't you believe that a foolish daughter also is a grief to her father? A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. And I promise you when that mother gave birth to that child that it was a joyful day. And she was rejoicing to have that child. I realize there may be some mothers today in America with some warped minds and values that may not feel that way. But I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. And I believe that you appreciate what God has given and blessed you concerning your children if you have a child. But today is Mother's Day. And motherhood lasts a lifetime. And there are going to be seasons of life that every mother is going to go through. And believe it or not, moms, you won't always be changing diapers. And we thought for a long time that we'd never get rid of the diaper pail. That was back in the day when you had to actually wash diapers. Y'all don't know anything about that. Some of you don't. But the day came when finally that diaper pail got put up in the attic. Then later on, we got it down for the grandchildren. And the diaper pail and the potty chair and all that stuff. But a mother's expectations can be very unrealistic sometimes and unbiblical. And this in itself can create a root of bitterness. Now in our text here, it is not the mother's fault. It is the choices and decisions of the children that have brought bitterness into her heart. The foolishness, the foolish decisions. I promise you that, 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 that no matter how old you are, if you have a decent mother, that everything, that the major decision that you make and the things that you do, the people you hang around will have an impact upon your mother's heart. She's thinking about what you're doing, where you're going, what's going to happen to you, the consequences of your choices. So here, though, can I say to you that sometimes that a mother's expectations are not biblical. And she can create some of her own bitterness because she has expectations that are unscriptural. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, uh, she has some sorrow that she herself has caused. So where do you find the balance on that? Where do you, where do you kind of figure, okay, okay, this is, this is bitterness that is, uh, what can I say, uh, it has a legitimate foundation to it. And then over here, this is something that I have caused. How do you find the balance to that? Well, I, I think maybe if you would just have the perfect child, then you would be able to determine that. You agree? Can I say there are no perfect parents and therefore there are no perfect children? There are no perfect grandchildren. But I am saying that even, what if you had the perfect child? Well, let's talk about somebody that did. Let's talk about Mary for just a moment and her son and the principles that they teach us, three principles that are critical on balancing your heart and your mind about whether or not your bitterness has any foundation to it. And even if your bitterness does have a foundation to it, you need to overcome it so that you don't become a bitter old woman that nobody wants to hang around. 
You don't want to be a poisoned well where people can't have their grandchildren spend much time with you because they don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. You understand? You don't want to be like that, do you? You want your children and grandchildren to be able to hang around you and leave having been feeling loved and blessed having been around you and encouraged. So let's talk about Mary. Did you know that Mary was told that, that, a, that, a, that uh, a sword would pierce her own heart? And she had the perfect child. You understand? But yet she experienced some things that uh, some people don't understand because they don't understand really the principles of a perfect child. Now, because we've never had any. But let me show you something. Turn with me to Luke. I'm going to show you something real fast here this morning. And let's look at um, some principles that every mother should uh, hold on to and have, what can I say, proper expectations of. Okay? So if you have these expectations and they're broken, then you have a foundation for a root of bitterness, but you got to still deal with that root of bitterness. Do you understand? I'm not making excuses for that root of bitterness. You've got to overcome it. And God will give you grace to do that. Look in Luke chapter number 2 with me, please. And look in verse number 40. One of the expectations of a, of a mother, if she has a perfect child, well, number one, would be his or her subjection in their youth. Do I have a right as a mother to expect my child to subject himself to me as his mother while he is at home? Do I have that right? Yes, you do. I don't care what kind of laws... Congress may pass or the state may pass or what a school board may teach. The child belongs to you. And that child's responsibility is to respect you. God expects a child to respect his mother. Look in Luke chapter number 2. Every child in here should want to be like Jesus. Every son and daughter in here should want to be like Jesus. What a pattern that is. Verse 40 says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. So Jesus was a strong-spirited child. That means he was not easily influenced by everything around him. Amen? And he says, Filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. But I want you to notice something else about him. Look in verse 51. Let me hurry here. It says, and he went down with them, talking about his parents, and came to Nazareth and was, what's that next word? Subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Respect. If you're still at home, God expects you to respect your mother. Now, the Scripture says in 1 Timothy 5, 2, that this should leak on into the church in that you're to treat the elder women as mothers. There's some things that a pastor or an older woman should never have to teach in a public uh, service because you learned it at home to respect your mother and respect the women at the church as you do your mother. Respect the way you talk to them matters to God. Let me read you something that Adrian Rogers said right here on this particular area. 
he, uh, he said that in the Rogers home, he said showing disrespect to mama was not tolerated. He said he had a friend of his that he was visiting, and they were a godly family as well. And he said the boy kind of smarted off to his mother. And he said the dad said this to him. He said, son, he said, I want to tell you something. When you lipped off to your mother, number one, you sinned against God. God says you're to honor her and you're going to have to answer to Him for that. Number two, not only that you sinned against God, but you sinned against your mother. She went down to the valley of the shadow of death to bring you to life. How ungrateful you've been to speak to your mother that way. And you're going to have to answer to your mother for that. But thirdly, he said, and this godly father said, I want to tell you something else. Not only is she your mother, she's my wife. And you're not going to talk that way to my wife. Now, you not only have God and your mother to deal with, but you've got me to deal with. Because you're not going to disrespect my wife. And he said that made an impression on that young man, but also upon his own heart concerning his own mother. And I'm just saying that's the way it ought to be. Amen? And that it is not tolerated in the home. And rules are to be observed. They shouldn't have to always be enforced. You should be willing to obey your mother and your father. You know, the Bible says, Cursed is he that setteth light by his mother. That means you just take her for granted. You don't really listen to what she says. You kind of do your own thing. And he said, there is a generation that doth not bless their mother. God expects you to be a blessing to your mother. Now, we do understand that God has given every child a free will. And I want to say this to all mothers. That sometimes you have false guilt. You've done a good job. You and your husband have trained them in the right direction. And somebody has beat you over the head with Proverbs 22, verse 6, which is a principle. Proverbs 22, 6 says, You know, if you train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. You leave out the word old. But I will say that that's not true for every good and godly parent. But it is a principle. It's a general principle. But in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, the Bible says that there was a mother and father who raised a son who was stubborn and rebellious. And the scripture says that they even said that those parents chastened him. And yet he refused to respond to the training and the teaching and the chastening. And he became a glutton and a drunkard. And so they had to report him to the authorities. How heartbreaking that would be. But sometimes you feel in your heart, that you're responsible for every choice that your child makes. But my children have told me several times, Dad, listen, thank you for what your mom did, but we're adults and we make sometimes our own choices in these matters. And I appreciate that. I do want those choices to be wise. I do want those choices to be good. I understand that. But I am saying here that sometimes mothers carry guilt that you ought not to. And if you're not careful, you'll let that become a root of bitterness, that you'll feel like you've done everything you can and God let you down. But every boy and girl, every man and woman has to make their own choices about certain things in their life. And what you want to know is that you did your best. 
And if you feel like you failed in some areas, I'd encourage you to just humble yourself and go to your son or daughter and say, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I messed up right there. I really am. I wish I'd have done a better job. I don't know of a good godly parent don't feel that way anyway. Wish you'd have done a better job. Amen. But here's the second thing. I want you to turn with me. You're in the book of Luke. Look in chapter 2. You're right there. Look with me in verse number 40. I want to be very careful here. I'm trying to present a really good balance on this. Look with me in verse number 40. You know, you see where he's grown. Verse number 41, now he's 12 years of age. Again, this is a Jewish setting. Jewish boys at 12 years of age already becoming young men. They're not sitting at the house, play video games. They're learning how to work. And they're thinking about their career. They're thinking about what they're going to do with their life. They're not watching cartoons. They're learning how to grow up. And not opposed to cartoons. But at some point, you're going to have to, you're going to have to put away the toy box and get out the toolbox. Amen? Verse 41. It said, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother do not of it. So already he is, uh, what can I say, stressing some independence. And he's already got enough confidence to be by himself. He doesn't have to have a babysitter at 12 years of age. He's already mature enough, can handle himself. You say, that's the perfect child. I understand that. I understand that. But he's also a pattern. and will help us here. Okay? And so the, 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 verse number, the, the principle that I want to teach you to help you with bitterness as a mother is that at, at some point, now number one, you should expect his subjection in his youth. All right? But number two, you should expect his separation from you into his adulthood. A child is like a boomerang. You have to at some point turn it loose. And at some point down the road, if you've turned it loose, it will of its own accord make its way back to where it came from. On its own. All right? Now listen to this. And the Bible says in verse 44, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. So obviously, he was a well-behaved child that didn't even know he wasn't there because he wasn't always whining about something. I mean, you know when certain kids are around. They're always, I want this, I want that. I had uh, my youngest grandson with me at Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and we were... We were doing that self-check stuff. I was letting him do it, you know. Every time we go there, he wants to go to the fishing department and get something. And so we, we were checking out, and there was this, uh, he, how old is, is Quinn? He's four. But he's been taught to behave himself in a store by his mother and dad, and I appreciate that. So we're standing there, and there's another one of those self-checkouts right there, and there's a, there's a dad over there with his kid about the same age. And that kid is throwing a fit. I mean a fit. And so Quinn looks over at him and looks at me and he goes, you know, and um, he's making fun of this guy. I said, hey, boy, you're fixing to get me in a fight right here. I said, you got to, I said, you have to cut this out right here. Now, you wouldn't have known Quinn was there, but you knew that kid was there. And I'm just saying that Jesus 
was that kind of kid. You know, that he just didn't really miss him because he was just always in his place doing what he was supposed to be doing. And so verse number 40, 45 says, and when they, it's verse 44, and when they supposing him to have been in the, comp, in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. I guarantee you, buddy, they're upset. Now, you've got you to ask yourself a question. Now, who's at fault here? Because she's fixed to chew on Jesus a little bit. Now, if Jesus was in the wrong, he's not God. Because, Lord, our Heavenly Father looked down upon his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, but I need you to see here the heart of a mother. It's the natural heart of a mother. Has a difficulty sometimes dealing with that transition of a boy turning into a man and starting to seek things away from her. Being willing to cut the umbilical cord and let him go forth in life. You'll never feel like he's prepared enough. All right, now look what it says here. And it says in verse 46, it came to pass that after three days, I cannot imagine, I bet they had some restless nights. And they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Usually, if our sons are headed in the right direction, normally they will, they will surprise you at some things they've learned and what they can do. And the Bible says in verse 47, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Now, I mean, what, what can, how else can you interpret that and say, Son, what are you doing? Behold thy father, and I, and I have sought thee how? Sorrowing. So I ask you this, did Jesus ever cause sorrow to his mother? The answer says yes. But can I say to you that some of that is self-inflicted? Mom, are you listening? It's going to be very difficult for you sometimes to accept this principle, but it will help you to overcome some bitterness in your heart. And the Bible says, and he said in verse 49, he said to him, How is it that you sought me? Wish you not that I must be about my father's business? Is Jesus being disrespectful? No. Is it being a smart aleck? No. It says that they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. So what you're looking at, look with me quickly in the book of Mark. Back, back to your left. Look at Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. There always seems to be a struggle uh, when a child is moving from uh, their, what can I say, their juvenile stage into their teenage and adulthood. And every child is different. But in the Old Testament, sometimes a kid, 12 or 16 years of age, was a king. Now, he had counselors around him, but he was still a king. Look with me, please. Now, we, we in America have raised a bunch of babies. We really have. When you get away from, uh, when you get away from work and you get away from, from really the, the, the uh, agricultural type life and, and, and outdoor life, you really, and you kind of grow up in the city, sometimes you have a tendency to slow down in your maturity. Look with me in, in Mark chapter number 3. Look at verse number 31. The Bible says, um, now look at this now. 
See, uh, mom, listen to me. Your pastor loves you. The signs of growth in your son or daughter are not always signs of rebellion. And you need to pray for God for good judgment and discernment on that, that you can discern the difference of whether or not they are really trying to just stretch out and be whom God has called them to be and to be what the Lord wants them to be and what you have taught them to be and trained them to be. Now look with me here in Mark chapter number uh, 3, I believe I told you it was. All right, now look at this. You also must learn to respect their role in life and release them as arrows so that you don't set yourself up to be hurt and expect to be invited to everything that they're involved in in their own life. Now watch in verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother standing without and sent unto him, calling him. Now listen, Jesus is busy. He is busy being a blessing. He's busy doing what his father's called him to do. He's busy doing the will of his father and the will of God. And now mom wants him to come out of that over to where she's at. And the brethren do. And so... What I need you to understand this, I, I read something this week and it, it is stuck in my mind and I hope that you will agree with this in balance. A guy said a boy will never be a man if he always must obey his parents. Did you hear what I just said? A boy will never be a man if he always must obey his parents. At some point, it has to be cut. At some point, he becomes a man. You say, oh yeah, that's when he gets married or when he leaves home. And that, I agree with that. If he's at home, he ought to follow certain rules and regulations that are at home. I totally agree with that. But at some point... Do you not agree that when a son is doing something and maybe you're not included, it's not because he's trying to get you out of his life. It's that he's busy doing what the Lord has given him to do. And it's not your rejection that he is emphasizing here. It is the rejection that you are feeling, but it's not rejection. It's maturity and growing up and being busy with life. You're used to him for about 18, 20 years being the center of your life or part of it, a major part of it, which I really discourage a child-centered home. I think it should be Christ-centered home. And I also think that eventually you've got to turn them loose and love your wife and your husband and not make your husband miserable because of what the children are doing because he married you. We'll talk about that when we talk about the bitterness on the, in the husband, okay? But let's look at this, all right? Now, I hope you receive what I just said. I know you, I look at somebody saying, I'm not sure if that's right. The Bible says that a child is to honor and obey his parents. Yeah, that's right, a child, but not a man. I feel sorry for the woman who's married to a man, and they're trying to make plans, and he said, let me check with mom. Let me see what she's doing and see if it's okay. 
man, please take the apron off. And mom, don't chase him down to tie another one on. (laughs) Mercy. The Bible says here that, look what Jesus said in verse 32. And the multitude said about him and said, they said unto him, Hey, your mom's outside, she wants to talk to you. Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. He did not budge. He answered and said, saying to them, Who is my mother? He's not being disrespectful. Jesus would never do that. He loves her. Again, this is mom out of balance. This is not Jesus out of balance. And sometimes there's some moms in here and and you want all the children around you at at certain times and sometimes that husband and wife, they got plans of their own. They've got their own world. They've got their own children. They've got their own lives. And it's not rejecting you when they've got things to do and you're not included. Can you accept that? If you can accept that, you can save yourself from some sorrow and bitterness. And you can be thankful in your heart that you raised a man who's independent, who leads his own family, and who, who is trying to do his very best to do what he's supposed to be doing. I would like, I would, I would rather my children invite me than me invite myself. Now listen, when I say that, they're here. Our house is always open to them. And I feel like their house is always open to me. But I'm talking about when they've got something going on and I didn't get an invite. There's no need in me showing up and getting my sitting at the house going, they didn't ask me to come. You understand? And some of you moms, you can't do that. You can't do that to your husbands. And go home and pout. You can't do that. I don't think Mary did this. I hope she didn't. But here's what he said in verse 34. He looked round about on them and that sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, that whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. And basically what Jesus was saying is, says, Hey, she can join me, but I don't have time to join her right now. I'm busy. I'm busy. You've got to find balance in life to Christianity and to what the Lord expects out of you to do. All right? Now, let's... Just, just don't be demanding. Once your son or your daughter has become an adult and moved on with their life, don't be demanding on them and too high expectations. And don't look at everything as being about you and rejecting you. Praise God for what you have done in raising them to be productive and self-sufficient in those areas. Turn with me to John 19 and I'm done. All right, John 19, let's look at what Jesus did. Talking about that uh, passage about bitterness in the mother. Is it self-inflicted? I hope not. And I hope, sons and daughters, that you do think about your mom and dad. I do hope and pray you think about your mother in a good way. And one are included in the time when it's appropriate. Look at John chapter number 19 with me, if you would please, and look in verse number 25. Here the scripture says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Isn't that a blessing? 
When those men left him, his mother was there. His, his, her son was misunderstood as a, as a child, as an adult, and now here at the end of his life, he's misunderstood. But he, she stuck with him. I'll tell you what, man, a mom will stick with you. Ask Brother John about moms and who shows up at the prisons. There'll be more moms there to visit than there will be dads there to visit. I've done my share of visiting in prisons and I've seen mothers outside crying their eyeballs out. And the Bible says in verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, now he sees these other women, but he's looking at his mother. In his agony, in his grief, in his sorrow, in his pain, he looks at his mother. And the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Now listen, she had some other children. But Jesus wanted her in the right place. He wanted her looked after in the right place. Now it's every family decision of when their mother becomes a widow, of what are you going to do that is in her best interest. You should expect your son or your daughter to support you in your later years. That's an expectation that is biblical and realistic, both economically and emotionally. You should help take care of your mother. According to 1 Timothy 5, the Word of God says that you are to, if your mother becomes a widow, that you are to relieve her. You are to give her relief. You are to take care of her. Now, hopefully, mom and dad set up a little bit where that maybe some of the finances are in order that you can use some of that to help. But if not, it's going to have to come out of your own pocket and you need to do that without grudgingly doing it. And to take care of your mom as a widow. Now listen, she doesn't want to be a burden. I'm going to tell you something that you shouldn't do. And that is to make your mother feel like a burden. Number two is you should never make, when I say emotionally, a widow, a mother, everything in her whole world has changed and turned upside down when she becomes a widow. Her husband needed her. Her children, not as much anymore. And now you're going to have to make some adjustments in your life to make sure that she feels needed by you and by your grandchildren. That she still has a purpose in life. You know why some people get depressed and suicidal at that age and do not care about living very long anymore? It's because of what Paul said. He said, you know, he said, listen, now this is what he said about himself. He said, it'd be better for me to go on and be with the Lord. He said, however, it's needful for me to stay here with you. He said, I, I, you need me. And I'm saying that you want to help an older person kind of become a little bit more uh, invigorated about life and their eyes still light up is that you have a place in your life that you need them. And they sense that need and 
They feel needed. When a man or a woman no longer feels needed, they go into the depths of despair. They lose their purpose. Now listen, according to what happened to Mary, he said, John, he said, I want you to take care of her. Now listen, he knew John could financially take care of her. She wasn't going to be a burden financially. John was okay financially. He said, I want you to look after her. Mom, I want you to go. And he's going to look after you. I know you got some other sons and daughters. He said, but I want him, I want you to be with him. And I'm just saying that in this particular passage, emotionally, she would need some support. But not only that, but she would be engaged in the ministry as well. Listen, if you're a widow, God expects some things out of you. He expects you to continue on and press on for God. First Timothy 5 says if you're 60 years of age that you didn't even qualify for church aid unless you were 60. Did you know that? I guess he expected you to get remarried. I don't know. I don't know that. But I do know this, that if you were taken on and, and helped financially by the church, it, that he expected some things out of you, that you have washed strangers' feet, that you have looked after children. In other words, you're engaged and you have done some things in your life and you're still active if your health allows it. I hope, I hope you understand this. Listen, if you're an older woman and your husband is gone and you still have some children, I hope and pray, number one, that you have not been ignored, that you have not been isolated. I hope and pray that somebody is looking after you and loves you. And listen, if you've got a son and a daughter-in-law, or if you've got a daughter and a son-in-law that's looking after you, that's loving on you and caring for you, then you need to thank God to the high heavens that God is looking after you through them. And that you still got a table to sit around with children and grandchildren. And that you have some of the greatest blessings and opportunities to, to exude your influence upon them. And to leave them with a good legacy and a good taste for Christianity. That God is faithful in spite of hardships in life. Don't be one of those that just sits on the front porch in a rocking chair and just whines and moans and complains. Don't do that. God has been good to you more than you deserve. That is for sure. Now the conclusion here is, the Bible says if you do have a root of bitterness in your heart, number one, the psalm said in 142 verse 1 and 2, he says, listen, I went to the Lord and I poured out my complaint to Him. If your child has been disrespectful, take it to God and pour your heart out to Him. And he says, pour your complaint out to him and said, Lord, please help me with this. Give me grace with this. Show me what to do. And if you're struggling with turning loose and releasing that son or daughter, and you're expecting some things that are not biblical and realistic, ask the Lord to give you the grace to turn them loose and to give them some space. Watch that boomerang eventually come back around. Wait for that time that they want you there. Don't demand to be there. I know this is hard. Emotionally, I understand that. But pull your heart out to God and then depend on the Holy Ghost to help you to get rid of that bitterness and that clamor and that anger and ask the Lord to heal your heart and so, that, so that when somebody bumps into you, they get sweet water, not salt water. 
And not only that, but this is a key verse. Colossians chapter 3, it is that our life is hid in Christ and Christ is our life. That at some point, could you as a mother let Jesus Christ become the center of your heart and not your children? Could you begin to love Him more than you do that son or daughter? I mean, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Because if not, your, 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 your heart and emotions may be going up and down like this. But if your focus is upon Him, it'll stabilize your emotions and your feelings and your purpose and your heart and your mind in life. I pray the Lord will help you with this message so that you would not be one of those who becomes a bitter mother. Let's stand together, please. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Let's bow our heads. I'm, I sense in my heart that some of you probably are thinking, well, what about this and what about that? I don't know. But I believe the Lord will give you some wisdom in some areas of your heart. What I would love for you to do as a mother is to determine in your heart that wherever you are today and sitting at the table, that you look at your family, you thank God for them, and that out of your lips would proceed sweet water, good water, and words of thanksgiving. And don't be afraid. Instead of expecting some things from them today, how about being the giver? And look at them and say, I want to thank you for loving me. I want to thank you for respecting me. I want to thank you for providing for me. I want to thank you for looking after me. I want to thank you for caring about me. Thank you. Be the giver today. I promise you, it'll help you in that heart. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Lord, would you encourage these moms today Strengthen their hearts and minds. May they develop a Bible mind, a biblical mind, a transformed biblical way of thinking. God, give them, I pray, and their husbands wisdom in the different seasons of life. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' holy name, amen.